You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Okay, so I'm going to start off and I'm going to ask you guys a question. Um, Before I ask you the question, though, it's interesting because Pastor Mark, when he called, he said, well, you know, share something that you've been learning at the school or that you've been teaching at the school. And I was like, okay. So as I prayed about it and kind of put together, you know, a little amalgamation of the things that we've been learning, what I realized is that, wow, this is actually the ending of our spiritual warfare series that we did. Like, so today is is our final one. That's what the Lord gave me. He was like, okay, this is actually a little bit more about spiritual warfare than I thought it was going to even be. Um, So I want to start out by asking you a question. Now, I know a lot of us don't like to raise our hands when we do this. Like, I don't want to raise my hand. But I'm asking you, really raise your hand if you agree with this, because I just want to see if you do. So um, how many of you believe that our nation is currently intentionally and powerfully under an active assault from the kingdom of darkness? Yeah. It's it's a, an assault. We are under an assault from the kingdom of darkness. That's good. We are an awake church. And that's why it's so good that our pastors have been bringing us these messages on spiritual warfare. Because we need to see the world through the lens of what is happening in the spiritual reality and how it affects us on earth. But we also need to know that what we do on the earth affects the spiritual realities above us. Correct? Yes. So as Christians, you know, we really... I mean, I don't know if you do, but I don't really think of myself in, you know, militaristic terms. Like, I, I'm not, I don't wake up every morning and uh, spend time with the Lord and say, what are my orders today, commander-in-chief? <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't, I don't really think in those terms. But the truth is, we really, truly are in a battle, as we all just agreed. There is a battle happening. And so, whether we think about ourselves in militaristic terms or not, we are engaged and we are part of warfare that is happening. And I don't know about you, but I love this nation. I'm very thankful that I live in this nation. God actually appointed me to live in this nation because it says in Acts that he has appointed the times and seasons and the boundaries of your dwelling. So anyways, um, so we are in a battle. And here's what we're going to talk about battle for a few minutes. And I got, I kind of had a long setup. I'm bringing you guys somewhere. So you got to stay with me at the beginning so we can get to where we're going. Do y'all want to do that? Okay, so stay with me. So what are wars fought over? Yes, territory. Wars are fought over territory. Look what's happening right now with Russia and Ukraine. Russia has invaded their territory for the purpose of what? For taking it, to possessing it, to making it their own. Well, it's the same with spiritual battles. The spiritual battle that we are in right now, it's for territory. That's what the enemy is after. He's after territory. I really believe that the divide that's coming, if it continues, there won't even be any nominal Christians in 20 years. Think about that. Because it's, the divide is here. And that's what's happening. So one of the main strategies of the enemy when he comes against you is he wants to overwhelm you. Just think about, I remember, I think it was, it was one of the recent wars, um, the message was shock and awe, right? We are going to bomb, 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 so that the people are like, oh my gosh, we don't know what to do. Well, 
in the spiritual, isn't that what's happening to us right now? We are being overwhelmed with all the things that are coming against our faith and what we believe. We're being overwhelmed with what we see on TV. You turn the TV on for five minutes, like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, oh, I can't believe that, oh that, oh, 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 oh. It's to overwhelm us. Do you know what the purpose? See, it all, it all kind of goes down for territory, to overwhelm us. What's the purpose of overwhelming us? So that we think, well, what can I do? What can I do? I can't do anything. How can I help my nation? How can I fight this huge spiritual battle that's going on? The purpose of, of the enemy wanting you to feel overwhelmed is so that you feel insignificant. So that you don't see how important your life and your relationship with God really is. So that you don't know that how I live my life day to day actually matters for the kingdom of God. That's why the enemy wants to overwhelm you so you feel insignificant. I want to tell you today that you and your life is very significant to the kingdom of God. And how you live your life matters in this huge spiritual warfare thing that's happening right now, not only in our nation, but in our cities and even in our homes. How you live your life. So I'm going to tell you today how to win the battle. Doesn't that sound good? We know there's a battle, but come on, we got to know how to win it. How we win the battles. You might not believe me when I say it. You and I win the battle that we're in by possessing the promises of God for our lives. We win the battle by possessing the promises of God for our lives. We have individual promises that God has given us, each one of us here. I hope you have promises. If you don't, we're going to get promises next week. (laughs) We have individual promises, but we have a corporate promise, even our church. And it's through walking out and possessing those individual promises and the corporate promises that God has given us that we will take territory for the kingdom of God in this life. That's why your life matters. That's why the promises that God has given you matter. The enemy wants to overwhelm you and make you think it doesn't matter. But your promises matter. Big promises Small promises, general promises, specific promises, they all matter to God. And it matters if you possess them. Now, when I think about promises, I think about one of the biggest stories, really, in the whole Bible, which is the children of Israel, right? What did God give them? A promised land, a land of promise. In fact, the entire Old Testament is about this land of promise. If you want to break it down and make it really simple, in Genesis, God promises the land to Abraham. And then 400 years later, the children of Israel were in Egypt, and God says, okay, now it's time to possess the promise. You know, there's timing involved in possessing the promises too, right, guys? There's timing. And so at the right time, God brings his children out of Egypt, and he goes, you guys got to get into this land. I've promised it to you. Now, Who was living in the land? The enemy. Do you see the correlation for us? 
The enemy wants to possess your promise so that you cannot possess the promise. But simultaneous to you possessing your promise, the enemy gets kicked out. Do you see that's why the statement is true? The statement is true that when we possess our promises, the enemy is defeated and God has the victory. And it's so cool because, again, we don't think in in military terms, but guys, we don't really have to. We just have to be children of God, possessing the promises of God for our lives. And at the same time, the enemy is defeated. God's working on such another level that we're like, oh, that's what he's doing here. So that is the spiritual territory. That is the spiritual parallel for us. Now, what happens when you possess territory? Now, think about this. Think about it in the terms of Russia and Ukraine if you want to. It's, it's in a natural, natural mindset. They want to possess that territory because they want to control the goods, the power, the money, and the influence over the people. That's why they want it. So why does the enemy want to take spiritual territory from us? So he has the power, the money, and the influence over the people. That's what the battle is. It's over influence for the people. And maybe Russia doesn't care too much about the influence of people, but the enemy wants to influence people for his kingdom. But when we possess the promises of God, we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the resources of heaven and we're influencing people for the kingdom of God in this life, for salvation. That's what happened in the book of Acts. Over and over again, you read it, it said, and it was, they walked in the power. The power of the word went forth. They were pushing out the gods that Jerusalem had let in. They were pushing them out of their land and silencing them by the power of God. They were winning a spiritual battle because the word of God went forth and the people of God were like, we're claiming our promises. And that's what I want to encourage you today. Your promises are significant. Your promises are important. And your promises, they start at home. They start at home. The first territory that God wants, right here. This is the first territory. (laughs) What is the promise? Freedom, peace, joy. We have the ability to forgive when we are hurt. All of those are promises for the children of the kingdom. It's right here. We got to possess these promises first so that we can walk in freedom. Did, did Jesus come so that we could be slaves? Or did he come to set us free? So the first promise begins right here in us. Then the promise is in our marriage. The promise is in our children. And then the promise is outside in the marketplace, in ministry. And whatever God has given you to do, Those are your promises. And do you see how every time you possess a promise, you expand the kingdom of God? The kingdom gets bigger. This is a kingdom principle. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. That's what our lives are supposed to be about. But we do it by possessing the promises that he's given to us. So what are the territory-taking promises that God has given to you? What are they? Can you think about it? If we're not pursuing the promises of God, what are we pursuing? 
So how do we possess these promises? I hope you have promises. I hope when I asked you that, you can say, yeah, this, this, this. If it's for myself, my marriage, my kids, my job, my career, my business. And if you don't have those, start talking to Jesus. <laughs> Every time he comes into a relationship with people, he comes with a gift to give to you. And it's his greatest glory when his children possess their gifts. This is the glory of God in our lives. Do you know that your life was made for God's glory? That you are supposed to display the glory of who our God is in your life? And you do that when you possess the promise, when you say, man, God, the gifts that you've given me are good. And I want to lay hold of them. What is Paul always doing? He's laying hold of something. He's pressing towards something. Are we doing that with our lives? I think we are. Church, are we doing it? Let's do it. Let's press, press, press towards what God has given us. So here's my title. See, I told you it was a long setup. <laughs> We're going to possess the promises by faith. By faith. By faith, we possess the promises of God. There is no other way. There's no other way to possess the promises other than through faith, by faith, with faith. Hebrews 6.12 says, Do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It takes faith to get to the promise. Our relationship with God starts in faith. We're saved by faith. Our relationship with God continues in faith. The word says that we have access to grace by faith. Does anybody need grace for your life? I know I do. We have access to grace only by faith. Everything that we do in this life, in this Christian life, is by and through and with our faith. Until the day we see him face to face. And you know, we won't need faith anymore then. That's why he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Because the day we see him face to face, all of the promises will be fulfilled. And faith, we won't need it anymore. Because we're going to be with him. But so many of us, we don't treasure our faith. We put it up on the shelf and tell, uh-oh, I need faith. <laughs> but we're supposed to build up our faith. We're supposed to nurture our faith. We're supposed to see faith grow in our lives. See, faith is offensive and it's defensive. Faith, to pursue the promises, you're going to have to go on the offense to lay hold of them, just like the children of Israel did. They had to go on the offense to pursue the promise. And then there's the defensive part of your faith, where you're shield of faith, where you stand in faith. But man, we got we to gotta treasure our faith. We have to nurture our faith. We have to build our faith up. Because... That's the only way we're going to possess the promise. And that's the only way we're going to win the war against what the enemy is trying to do. You see the pattern? All right, so the rest of my message, we're going to be talking about faith. Now, I want to bring to your attention the children of Israel. I mentioned them, the promised land. Well, they had a journey that they had to go on. And there is so much that we can learn from this journey. And honestly, the things that I'm going to present to you, they have changed my life. And I'm not saying that like, oh, they've changed. They have changed my life dramatically because I believe them. 
So God had the children of Israel. He had them in Egypt for a certain amount of time. He goes, okay, it's time to possess the promise. You're coming out of Egypt and you're going to cross through the wilderness to get to your promised land, to your promises. And this actually, my friends, is part of a cycle that we all go through in life. It begins at salvation. Leaving Egypt represents our salvation. We get saved. How did they come out? Under the blood of the lamb. So we get saved. We come out of Egypt. And then God says, I have something for you. Remember? Promises. But there's a path you got to get through to go through the promises. And that's the wilderness crossing. Now, I will tell you that this actually is a cycle that we will go through more than once in our life. In fact, I think we go through the cycle regularly. We don't get saved again. The next symbol is we get awakened to a reality of something that we need freedom from in our lives. I mean, does anybody need freedom in their lives? (laughs) We all do. We all need to be awakened to things that we need freedom from. So every time God awakens you to something that you need freedom from, It could be, you know, in your mind, it's whatever. We're coming out of Egypt, and he goes, I have more promises for you to possess, but you got to walk through the wilderness crossing to get there. And I am convinced that the wilderness crossing and learning how to walk through that successfully is one of the most important things that we can learn in our Christian walk. Because the truth is, we know this. There were two wilderness experiences, weren't there? They crossed the wilderness, and God brought them to the promises, and they didn't possess them. So they had to go back into the wilderness, and I call that the wilderness of wandering. And they wandered in the desert until they died, and they never possessed the promise. God does not want his people wandering wandering in the wilderness. He wants them possessing the promises. Because the generation that did not possess the promise, this is what it says about them in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That's not God's desire for us. He wants us to cross through the wilderness and possess the promises. So we have to learn what what did they miss when they crossed through the wilderness the first time? Okay, so that brings me to my first point about faith. Faith is tested in the wilderness crossing seasons of life. Your faith will and has to be tested. It has to be tested. This this wilderness crossing that they went through, the, the first wilderness crossing, guys, they were following God. And bad stuff happened to them. They were following God. And armies came after them. They ran out of food. They ran out of water. That's a lesson for us. So many times when bad things are happening to us in our lives, we think it's the devil. My life is not in the hands of the devil. Unless it's sin, it's not the devil. If I'm not sinning, if I'm following God, it's not the devil. It's my God. And he's testing me. And see, this is the biggest thing that if we could learn to step back and look at our lives and look at the hard season that we're in, the time of testing, the wilderness crossing, and we can say, God, what are you teaching me in this? What are you trying to prove through my faith in this season? Our faith has to be tested. Let me ask you, would you jump off a cliff with a bungee cord with the cord had never been tested? No. 
Would you jump out of an airplane with a parachute if the parachute hadn't been tested to make sure it's right? No. See, that's the kind of faith that God wants us to have, that we can jump out of an airplane on our faith because we know it's got us. The purpose of God testing our faith is because he knows that there's giants in the land of our promise and we're gonna have to face those giants and we can't do it with weak faith. See, he's a good father. And even when the hard things come into our lives, he's still good. And he's doing it because he loves us. Jesus said, if you being a good father know how to give good gifts to your son, how much more does your heavenly father give you? He's giving you a gift of mature, strong faith when you walk through the wilderness crossing seasons of life. But if we won't lean into the test, if we won't lean into him, we'll be like the children of Israel and we'll curse ourselves because they said, we're going to die in this wilderness. And that's exactly what they did. And we won't mature and we'll just go back into the wilderness of wandering. God is so sick of his people being in the wilderness of wandering. We have to be mature enough to know that our faith will be tested. And when it's tested, it comes out as gold. Look at these verses. James 1.3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 1 Peter 1.7 says, You have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith being tested and coming out more precious than gold is so pleasing to God. It's so pleasing to him because he goes, okay, my child, let's keep going forward. You're ready now. You're ready now. Faith has its own set of eyes. This is my second point about faith. Faith has its own vision. <laughs> One time I taught this, I had little glasses. I put it on. Those are my faith glasses. <laughs> you know, sometimes the little effects work. <laughs> Break it up a little bit. <laughs> but faith does. It has its own set of eyes. Um, in Romans 4, talking about Abraham, this is what the Bible says. It says, God calls things which are not as though they were. God calls things that are not. Are they? No, they're not. <laughs> As though they were. That is the vision of faith. When you can call something that is not as though it is. That is faith's vision. Faith's vision looks up beyond what we see and it sees the other side. See, the children of Israel, all they could see was what they didn't have. Instead, they should have seen their God and what he could provide for them. All they saw was the giants, except for Caleb. He said, we are more than able. <laughs> we are more than able. Well, he saw the same giants they did, right? But he wasn't looking at them. The eyes of faith go up past what is, and they go to what exists in God's reality, <laughs> See, there's our reality and there's God's reality. We got to get our faith eyes into God's reality and not focusing on our reality. This is what our faith has to, it must do. 
to keep pressing forward. Because if not, we're stuck right there looking at giants. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's so easy to say, right? I have a friend in Virginia, and the Lord's called her to um, start a ministry and do all these amazing words that God has given her. And she's asked me to be on a Zoom call with her once a month for counsel and prayer and encouragement over what God's called her to do. And she's like, nothing's happening. (laughs) Nobody's showing up. And I was like, great. You're right where God wants you. Declare it by faith what he said. (laughs) Seriously, we have to do this. That's what faith's vision does. Jesus had to do it to go to the cross. He looked for the joy past the cross to get him through on the other side. You know that Jesus had to have faith that God would raise him from the dead? He'd never done that before. We have to have faith that goes past what we see. A couple of months ago in February, um, and I have permission to share the stories about our oldest son. He came to my husband and I, and he was like, I'm dealing with some major fear here. Like, it's, it's on me. It's attacking me. And, um, you know, when something touches your kid, that's a whole different level. And so my natural mind goes, panic, panic, panic. So <laughs> my natural mind does. So as he's talking, because I can tell it's serious. And as he's talking, I had to get up and, like, go switch laundry, you know, something like that. And um, I can feel the worry, the anxiety, the panic, the, oh, my gosh, coming up in me. And the Lord says to me so clearly, he said, Linde, this is for his good. And I am in this, and I'm bringing him to the other side. Because, you see, he wasn't backsliding but he wasn't progressing. He wasn't pursuing the promise. He wasn't leading his family into the way that God has for him. So God allowed an enemy to come into his life. That's what God does because he loves us so much to turn him back around. And he went through six months. Six months he was attacked I've never seen someone attacked that badly in their mind from fear. And every time he would come over and he would talk to us and we would counsel and pray with him, every time I held on to the promise and I looked past the pain that my son was in and I said, Lord, you said this was for his good. You said you're using this to turn him around. And my God, that's exactly what he has done. My son has been restored, and he's walking in the path that God has for him and leading his family in the path that God has for him. See, we got to hold on to the promise, and we have to declare it in faith, and we have to see it in faith until it comes into this reality. We got to learn this. I've had to do this for my my other two sons. I've I've had to do this. I shared a different story last uh, service everything. God, if you said it, I don't care what I see. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm seeing because you said it for no other reason. I can't make it happen. I'm not God. I can't do the God stuff. I can only believe that he can and he will. 
So we have to have the vision of faith. We have to have the confession of faith. And I want to tell you our confession is in our conversations uh, with, and our prayer. I, I want to put conversations in there because a lot of times we're having conversations and we just say whatever we want and then we go pray and we're like, okay, Jesus, yes, Lord. No, 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 no. It's got to be in our conversations and in our prayer. I had some friends over last night and I said, oh yeah, you're going to teach tomorrow Monday," day? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like everybody else. You get up here, you're like, oh, everybody's looking at me. And I said, you know, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> I declared it in faith. <laughs> in my conversation. Guys, what we say is so important in our conversations and in prayer. And in fact, I want to tell you this. I believe it's in our words that we actually win the battle. It's in our words that we actually win the battle. See, the children of Israel said, we're going to die in the wilderness, and that's exactly what they did. It says in Hebrews, again, several times in the New Testament, God brings us back to this generation that I'm talking about, the ones that did not enter the promise. Hebrews 4, it says, the word they heard did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. We have to take the word and we have to mix it with faith. And then we have to confess it. You know, the word says that God's word is established in heaven. How is the word established on earth? By the mouth of two or three witnesses. <laughs> we hear what heaven is saying. And then we say the same thing to that situation. Till we see the promise. So I want to give you an example of winning the battle through the power of confession through the life of Jesus. And I want to show you how Jesus even claimed his promises before he even saw them come to pass. So Jesus went through this same pattern. He gets baptized and he goes into the wilderness. He's got to cross the wilderness too, guys. So why wouldn't we think we have to? <laughs> so he crosses, the, he goes through the wilderness testing. He uses the word of God. But what I want to highlight on is he, when he comes out. Immediately he comes out and he goes into the synagogue and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Do you know what a powerful statement that is? Do you know you're supposed to say that about your own life? <laughs> that should be your confession. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me for X, Y, Z. What is your promise? Put it in there. The first time I was, when I was teaching one time, this is many years ago, and I knew that the Lord had anointed me to teach, I said it out loud. I was like, and he's anointed me to teach. And I felt through my body. There is something so powerful when you, you see, even right now, people are like, I can never say that. Oh, how could she even say that about herself? That's the devil. He does not want you to say what your anointing is. He does not want you to confess the promise that God has over your life. Because when you start confessing it, he starts shaking in his knees. Oh no, they figured it out. That I'm anointed, that your life is significant, that God has promises for you. And when you obtain those promises, you kick the enemy out of territory. So Jesus says, I am anointed. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am anointed. And then he says what he's anointed for. It's freedom. But the last phrase gets me. Because at this point, he had done no miracles. He had done no signs and wonders. But he says, 
today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He claimed his ministry with the confession of his mouth before it ever even began. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what we need to say about our promises. Today, it is fulfilled before I ever see it, before I ever experience it. Today, it is fulfilled. Today is the day. We have to, we have to get this vision and we got to get this confession so that we can possess these promises. So what are those promises that God has appointed over you? I'll keep asking you, what are they? What are they? Please go home and talk about this with your family. What are the promises? I want to show you one more example in Jesus' life of the power of his words and defeating the enemy. When Jesus comes back in the book of Revelation, I mean, it's like this epic scene. He's riding the white horse. On his thigh is written, faithful and true. And what does it say that he does? Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with which he will strike the nations. That, I can't overemphasize the importance of you declaring the promises of God over your mouth aloud. Because you will slay the enemies when you begin to put his words in your mouth and say them out loud. It's not a little bit. Out loud, say the promises. He slays his enemies with the word of his mouth. That's how we slay the enemy. So are we slaying the enemy and claiming our promises with the words of our mouth? Or are we slaying our promises with the words of our mouth? So our faith will be tested because God wants it to be strong. We have to see what God is saying with spiritual eyes before we see it in the natural, and we need to confess it with our mouth. So last point I want to make about faith. The scripture says without faith it is impossible to please God. Well, we know that part, and we know it really well. But the rest of the scripture says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because those who come to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The problem is, we read that, and that he is, and that he rewards. But the and in the middle of that makes a very defined difference. We have to believe that he is. That is a standalone statement that he is. And my friend, I want to tell you when we're talking about faith, because wow, it's, it's such a complex topic, or it could be, or it could be as simple as that all of our faith and all of the things that I'm talking about do not rest upon you. They don't rest upon me. They don't rest upon circumstances. They rest upon who he is. Who he is, is what our faith rests upon. Who he is. So if our faith is weak, 
I don't try to like muster up faith. I find out who he is in this situation. I find out who his character is in this situation. Because see, the children of Israel, they were supposed to say, we don't have any water, but he's our provider. The armies of Egypt, Egypt are against us, but he's our deliverer. He's our salvation. You see, we declare the promises on who he is, not upon is this going to work out the way that I want to? Not upon, did I pray enough? Did I have enough faith? Who he is. Everything rests upon who he is. If I have to depend upon myself, I'm in trouble. I'm serious. I don't even depend upon myself that I have enough faith. You know, it's not the uh, quantity of faith, it's the quality of who our faith is in, <laughs> is that will get us to the other side. We must know his nature. We must know his character. I told the students at the beginning of the year, we're not going to talk much about ourselves in these classes. We're going to talk about him, who he is. Because as a church, when we know who he is, we will begin to possess the promises that he has said that we can have. Why? Because he is faithful and he will make it happen. So we lay everything upon him. Lay it upon him. Because he's faithful. He's faithful. And he loves to show himself faithful to you. We think, oh, I gotta gravel, I gotta. He's like, why are you graveling? I love showing myself to you. When, when my back is against the wall and I feel like there's no way out except through faith, Jesus is like, yay, she's getting it. He loves it. Because he loves us. It's who he is. Our faith is in God alone. So I'm going to finish. I've, I've, hopefully I've, I've hyped you up on your faith and I've encouraged you on your faith and how to use your faith. But I want to end with something that's a little bit more somber. And I really didn't want to, but God said to you, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> this next little section that I'm going to tell you about, this changed my life. This one verse changed my life because I was bound up by the spirit of fear until I was in my early 30s. Like, I couldn't be home by myself. I had to triple check every door, every lock, like bound. When I say bound, I can't emphasize, like I was bound by fear. And the Lord was showing me what I showed you today. I was, I was reading the Bible and I saw Egypt and how he had, he had set me free from so many things, but that I was still on a journey to possess promises that I knew he had for my life. And I sat there that one morning, and I was reading the word, and I read the story about how the children of Israel, the first generation, they would not possess the promise. And there's this whole thing, you know, the, the, you guys know the story, the spies come back, two say yes, 10 say no. The whole congregation says, we can't do it. Take us back to Egypt. And I felt like the Lord was standing there with me and I was standing with the Israelites and the Lord was saying, will you come, Linde? Will you face the giant of fear in your life? Because I hadn't so many times. And then I read this verse because friends, when we walk in fear, 
which is the opposite of faith. I didn't want to talk about fear too much because I'm so over fear. (laughs) But it is the opposite of faith. This is what we're doing. This is a private conversation between God and Moses. Numbers 14, 11. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? When I read that, I fell to my knees. I was rejecting you, God. How can I reject the one that I love? How can I reject the one that did everything for me by saying that fear is God instead of you? By my actions, by my unwillingness to possess the promise. God said, how long will they not believe me? You see, God's called us to be people of great faith. We all want revival in this nation. We want revival in our area. We want revival in our homes. It's by possessing the promises of God through faith. Because then the enemy is dispelled and the kingdom of God comes in. So we got to be people of great faith. Great faith. God has called us to have a great faith. A giant slaying faith. Do you want that? Do you want that for your life? Do you want to see his promises for your life? Then let's do it. Let's do it. As a church, we are significant. We are significant because God says we are. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the sun sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.